glory. Come on, church. Show us, show us your power. Show us, show us your glory, Lord. Come on, with hands lifted in this place, we sing. Show us, show us your glory. You see a mountain. 
fight on my knee with my come on lift it up church oh god the battle be and every fear i sing through the night thankful God the battle belongs to you Lord we lack nothing through you Jesus last Wednesday night if you weren't here you missed it you missed it I'm just saying you missed it might as well just miss the rapture you missed it we had a, a baptismal service and that is probably one of my, and I posted on Facebook, that is probably one of the most favorite things that we do here at Brian, in my opinion, for me. And seeing, I think there was nearly 20 or more that got baptized that night and just seeing what God, yeah, you can clap, amen. Just seeing what God is doing, how he's building the church, not just in a building, but in our hearts, in community and seeing the righteousness of God shine through with these people that have given their lives to Christ and then to say, the old is gone and the new has come. And this song we've been doing, not a whole lot, but enough to where I think you know it. We did it last Wednesday and it was just so appropriate because there's many times in our lives where we lose focus or we lose sight of where God is or who God is and how he is in our lives and our hearts. And there may be some of you in this room that maybe have not had that relationship with Christ. And there's times where you've cried out and maybe nothing's happened. But I wanna tell you something that God does not have a deaf ear. He hears your need. He knows your thoughts. And in your time of desperation, in your time of anger, your time of sorrow, he is there. Do you believe that? Amen.
just take this moment to lift our voice, to lift our hands and to worship Him. We glorify. We just love upon him tonight. Lord, we worship you. <laughs> we love upon you, Jesus. We glorify, we exalt the name that is above all names. We exalt the king that is above all kings. We exalt the Lord. Come on, church, lift your voice this morning. Come on and magnify your king. Magnify your Lord. We honor you, Jesus. We honor you, Jesus. There is none like you, O oh God. Thank you, Lord. Lord, may we open our ears to hear, open our minds to understand. More importantly, O oh God, may we open our hearts to receive your word. In your name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Turn to one next to you and say, I'm glad I came this morning. Amen. wonderful privilege of having a baby dedication this morning and we've talked about having three Sundays a year where we just do everybody but I like taking just a few minutes and giving personal attention and uh, it's one of the ways that the church grows. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> 
So I'm going to ask Aaron and Kate to come to the platform. There you are. I, lost, I, I saw you earlier and then I lost track yet. Yeah, I didn't know where you went. So come on to the platform. don't have a good side. <laughs> Thanks for asking though. <laughs> That's right. No, I don't. Uh, my best side is probably this way where you can see. <laughs> but then you see my bald spot. So only when the lights are shining. How many of you believe that children are heritage from the Lord? And I just love this part of what we do when parents say, we're going to make a public declaration of our faith. Wednesday night, wasn't that a phenomenal service, Wednesday night? When young and old were made, go ahead, give it up. That'd be a great place to respond. This is a commitment on the parts of the parents that one day their children will do what we did Wednesday night. Amen, amen, amen. That they'll make a decision of faith. Scripture commands parents to teach children about the Lord Jesus, and this can only be done by lifestyle as well as communication. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So Aaron and Kate... In presenting your child for dedication this morning, <laughs> she's looking right at me like, can you get on with this? <laughs> you signify your desire that Clara may early know and follow the will of God. And I love to do a little research on names, and Clara means clear, bright, and shining. Uh, one, other, one other description includes the idea of being famous. Well, clear, bright, and shining really captures what Christian faith is all about. We're a city set on a hill. We're a light on a candlestick. We are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And our prayer is that she, that's right, amen, just hallelujah all along the way. Our prayer is that she will grow up into a young woman of God and that the light of the gospel will radiate out of her life and touch everyone around her. So for Claire to fulfill her God-given calling, it's your privilege as parents to teach her early the fear of the Lord, to watch over her education, that she be not led astray, to direct her youthful mind to the scriptures, to restrain her from evil associates and habits, and to bring her up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So I have some questions for you this morning. Do you recognize this child as a gift from God and give heartfelt thanks for God's blessing? And do you submit yourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and commit yourselves to live godly and consistent lives before your family? And do you promise by God's help and in partnership with the church to provide Clara a Christian home of love and peace, to raise her in the truth of the word of God, and to encourage her to trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? And this, again, is a family ministry. It's a family effort. Would you stand with me? And I'm going to ask you to show your support to this family. It's just not about our saying amen. It's about our coming alongside. So I now ask you, the congregation, will you commit yourselves as the body of Christ to support and encourage Aaron and Kate as they endeavor to fulfill their responsibilities to Clara and to assist Clara by nurturing her growth to spiritual maturity. We will. 
Inasmuch as the two of you have promised before God in this congregation to dedicate this child to God and to dedicate yourselves to the task of rearing her for God, I now charge you to give yourself wholeheartedly to that task with wisdom, patience, and devotion. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you. So is it all right if I take, hold her? You're a dandy. Look at you. Yeah, we're not going very far. It's all good. We'll stay real close here. I can see. See what I have to look at every week? You're going to pray for me now, aren't you? Yeah, look out there. It's terrifying. Uh, stretch your hand this way, would you please? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this family that's publicly committing themselves to raise their household for your glory. Lord, I ask for your wisdom and strength to belong to Aaron and Kate, that you will bless them and give them wisdom and direction and anointing beyond anything that they have experienced before in leading their house in the ways of righteousness. Lord, I pray for Clara. God, that her name will reflect who she will become, that she'll be a light in a dark place, that she will be a brightness to the world around her, that she will be a city set on a hill. Uh, a light on a candlestick. Use her for your kingdom purposes. I pray, God, that you'd protect her from the attacks of the enemy that would try to distract her from the destiny that you have set before her. And I just pray, oh God, that you will continue to bless, use, and anoint her as she grows in a relationship with you as the years go by. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Well, I don't know. The rest of you can go take a hike. I mean, she's just kind of cuddling in there. We have um, some gifts for you. Um, we have a, <laughs> this always cracks me up a little bit, but we do have a commemorative Bible for Clara. And we wanted it in the King James Version so she could understand it. <laughs> There's a certificate commemorating today letter for the two of you and a letter for Clara on her 13th birthday to remind her of what you've done for her. And then three flowers, the white carnation that speaks of the mother's love, the white rose that speaks of the purity of this new life, and the red carnation that speaks of the priesthood of the father in the home. And I want you to have these as well. Can you carry those? All right. God bless you. Give them a hand this morning. Well, I feel like we've had church. One other announcement that I need to make um, is that on July 28th, we'll be having a special business meeting um, concerning the properties that we own to the south of our building. And I want to take just a minute to give you a little lead into what we'll be talking about. We've been in dialogue with Garden Gate Ranch. Garden Gate is a ministry that reaches out to those who have been trafficked to help them get back on the course that God would have for them. And they're ready to move in their second phase of transition, which is single-family units. So once the program is completed, they can move to a single-family unit and begin to develop their life skills from there. And they don't have any places for that. And we've talked about how we could help. 
Well, I was riding my motorcycle into the office one morning, and this may sound crazy, but that's a great way to pray because you pray at every intersection. <laughs> and I'm just telling you, I don't have a lot of moments where I would say God spoke to me, but I'm just going to tell you, God spoke to me. And he said, you have five houses. They need one house. What's the problem? Come on. So we're going to talk about that, and I felt like God um, spoke to me about moving that house off of our books and letting them build, begin a process of building structures on their property to help that transition. And I, I want to say this just to kind of help you. I don't need a suggestion of a realtor. Right now I have a list of 212. <laughs> and please, just hear me. We want to get every dollar we can out of that house to invest it back into the kingdom. So don't ask me for a deal. Amen. <laughs> How many know what I'm talking about? Okay, this is money going in the kingdom. So um, we're going to invest that. And we need to talk about that and vote on that. So put that on your calendar. Come be a part of that night um, so we can be a blessing to Garden Gate Ranch. This is Family Fun Days month and Super Sunday Family Fun Days and hope you're having a Super Sunday Family Fun Day today. <laughs> and um, one of the things that we wanted to do during this month is also help Caring Hands. Caring Hands is a faith-based benevolence ministry to, to reach out to those that are dealing with food insecurity and poverty to be able to bless them with something to eat. And so we want to be able to give them during the month of July 1,000 cans of soup. Everybody say soup. Not cans of, you know, other things, but cans of soup. Um, how many think that we can do 1,000 cans? Raise your hand. Okay, leave them up. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. we can get there. So after our first week, we are under 200 cans on our way to 1,000 cans. So we wanted the Caring Hands van right there as you pull in, so it's the first thing you see, that while we are having fun and the food and festivities are provided for you freely, surely you can bring some cans of soup to be a blessing to those who are dealing with food insecurity. So we have a short video with uh, a man named Ned that I've gotten to know pretty well. And Ned uh, will be sharing with us about carrying hands in the soup drive. And uh, David Burrier is now the, I'm not sure what your title is, David, but working with carrying hands to bring them to a whole new level. So glad that you're here this morning. Enjoy this video. Hi there. This is Ned Looney. I'm the executive director of Caring Hands Outreach here in Altoona. And today I want to talk about our Cans for Hands Drive. Thank you, Berean Church, for that. Because I got hands and I got cans. And I'm going to show you where they go. They get here in one of our beautiful vans. They'll arrive here after we pick them up at your church. And then we'll take them back into our pantry here, where we have strong and dedicated volunteers. All our volunteers are strong and dedicated, but they're also camera shy. See, none of them work here right now. But uh, the food gets checked into this room. Uh, actually, the food that we're going to be using immediately goes on these shelves here. There's a, a strong, work, strong, hardworking volunteer right there who's quickly trying to get out of the scene. And after it gets checked in, weighed in, and counted, it comes into the back room. Let me show you that. So as we look at our warehouse here, you'll see we have 
Eliza working back here, putting the cans away. We have plenty of empty shelf space here for the cans that you're gonna be donating to us this month. And they'll be used to help feed our folks through the last of the summer and early fall. And we all know there's nothing better on a cold day than a warm cup of soup. So thank you, Berean Church, for, our, for supporting us in our Can for Hands campaign. So again, I really thank you for putting together this campaign for me. And again, when you see this big white van, and, and she has a name, this, we know this van is Big Bertha, and Big Bertha can carry an awful lot of cans of soup. So just fill that thing up for us, and we couldn't be happier. Thank you again. Come on, give it up for caring hands. We are a blessed people. How many of you believe that? And I'm absolutely committed to the principle that if God can get it through us, he'll get it to us. If we will use our resources to bless others, he will bless us with abundance. He said to the Jewish nation, I have blessed you to be a blessing to the nations. It's never a blessing to consume on our own uh, passions, but to invest and be a, make a difference maker in the kingdom. So this morning, let's go back to things you learned in school that are not true. And again, I want to make it abundantly clear, I am not attacking the school system or teachers. And if you love our teachers, let me hear your hands this morning. We love teachers. They're on the battlefield and they're there to help shape and help our children and we want to be a part of them. So that is not what this is about. It's about what culture has told us that was conventional wisdom that we have now discovered is no longer true. Last week we talked about the tongue map and the things that we were taught that certain areas of your tongue tasted certain things and found out that wasn't true and that there are certain things spiritually that we ought to taste and see. How many believe we ought to taste and see the Lord is good. Amen. I'm going to leave you out of taste and see that the word of God is good. Amen. How many believe we ought to taste and see the gifts of God are good? There's some things we need to taste and see. So this morning, the second untruth that you were taught probably as a child has to do with a calculator. How many of you Remember being taught when you were in school that on a math quiz or math class, you could not bring a calculator with you. How many remember that? How many of you were like that? And the reason was because if you use a calculator, you'll become dependent upon that and not be able to do any math skills on your own. Now, I will say, if you've met someone in the younger generation trying to count change, that might be true. <laughs> I'm, I'm playing here. I'm kidding. Just don't get mad at me. But the reason was, no, you will not have, you will not have a calculator on you all of the time. How many of you stand up if you have a calculator on your person right now in some form? You can sit down. <laughs> If you have a cell phone, you probably have a calculator. So we were taught that you had to learn to do everything in your head. And the other, the other problem um, that it creates with a calculator is if you, if you use a calculator, new math doesn't make any sense. 
I just know that 20 plus 20 is 40, and I don't need to make four boxes to figure that out. <laughs> I'll just pull out my phone and add it up. Thank you very much. Pew Research Center says that a full 96% of Americans, 96% of Americans own phones that has at least a basic calculator attached. Well, thinking about that, I began to think about some other things that were predicted that people have missed. This one that you've probably heard, Ken Olson, founder of Digital Equipment Corps, uh, Corp said, there's no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. <laughs> How many of you have one in your home? Thomas Watson, chairman of IBM in 1948 said, I think there's a world market for maybe five computers. <laughs> Some of you have more than that in your living room. Lord Kelvin said, heavier than air flying machines are impossible. New York Times in 1936 said, a rocket will never be able to leave the Earth's atmosphere. DECA Recording Company chose not to sign the Beatles in 1962 saying, we don't like their sound and guitar music is on the way out. People Magazine had a cover in 2007 of Billy Ray and Miley Cyrus titled Raising a Teen Star the Right Way. <laughs> Ladies, you like this. It was predicted in 1950 that a day would come that cleaning your house or men, I shouldn't be, that's kind of sexist, wasn't it? Men clean houses too, right? How many men? Yeah, elbow them. So people who have a house <laughs> predicted the day would come that it would only require a hose to clean your house. <laughs> Simply turn the hose on everything, furniture, rugs, drapes, floors, all made of synthetic fabric or waterproof plastic. After the water is run down the drain in the middle of the floor, Jane turns on a blast of hot air and tries everything. Predicting the future is fraught with problems because we think we know a lot more than we do. I've discovered that people who are in the know aren't always in the know. And I do think there is a sense in which calculators may have had a negative impact on some and their ability to just do math in their head. But a study was done by a couple of different um, uh, organizations testing the performance of students who used a calculator and didn't use a calculator and over the years discovered that there was very little positive or negative effect on the attainment of basic math skills by the use of a calculator. So the idea being that it's just become part of our fabric. It's become part of our life. We all use that. So I was thinking about that. And I thought there are some ways today that we need to make sure we're using a spiritual calculator to add some things up. So you get to the right answer. So you get to the right number. And I want to suggest it to you this way. And I, I, I want to be careful here and be um, clear. 
I prepared this long before I knew that there'd be a funeral in our family, started working on this, and uh, the Christianer family, we extend our sympathies, and there's information on all that in the office if you want to contact there, but uh, it behooves us that we pray that God would teach us all to number our days. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 90, verse 10, the length of our days is 70 years or 80. If we have the strength, yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. That's not a guarantee, but a reminder, a commentary saying that the human being, (coughs) excuse me, can expect to live 70 years or 80 years. Anything beyond that is the blessing of God. But we should tell ourselves on a regular basis that we're not going to live forever. And we have no guarantee what tomorrow holds. This may shock you, may surprise you, but when I was growing up, my mother would say to me regularly, Gary, you're not going to live to be you're not going to live to be 20. I don't know why she would say that. Not that I engaged in any risky behavior like jumping out of barn windows or things of that sort. But she would say that, and I didn't think that, and never, I never even thought about it. I really didn't ever thought about it. But I was in Bible college, um, on my way to Bible college, um, the night, August, getting ready to go, the night before my birthday. I was 19, about to turn 20. Pastor Larry, I didn't sleep all night. The devil jumped all over me as a 19-year-old and said to me over and over again, you are not going to see morning. And that was a real voice in my head, and I laid there and tossed and turned. I felt like she had pronounced a death sentence over me and nothing I could do. (sighs) Am I still breathing? Is my heart still beating? And uh, after that, obviously, how many know that I lived to be 20? How many knew that? You already knew that before you came this morning. I lived to be 20. But the reality of that moment ought to stay with all of us that there's no guarantee of tomorrow. There's no guarantee of the future, that we are finite. We will not live forever. And what you're going to do, you need to do it today, that we need to add up our life and decide that we're going to do something for God, not tomorrow or the next day or 10 years from now, but in the day that we're living in. We have a limited number of days to use here on earth. My brother-in-law was riding with me in my truck, and I have a truck uh, vehicle that when you stop, the engine shuts off. How many of you have that foolishness? It's like, what in the world? And he said to me, what do you think that's going to look like when you're at 200,000 miles? I said, that's going to look like four starters. I just have this idea that all of us have a certain number of things we can do in our lifespan. There's a certain number of times my knee's going to bend, my elbow's going to bend, a certain number of things that I'll be able to do in the amount of time that I live, and steps that I'll take, breaths that I'll breathe, let's use them in a way that's productive because our days are numbered. Teach us, oh God, to keep that reality in front of us. Why? 
so that we can apply our hearts to wisdom. <laughs> I tease my grandson on a regular basis that one of the reasons, and this is medically provable, that young men engage in more risky behavior in their later teen years, they engage in risky behavior. How many know that's true? Go ahead and point at somebody. You know that's true. Is because their frontal lobe that has to do with restraint and decision making is not yet fully developed. So we were at a wedding reception here recently, and I watched my 14-year-old son Simeon, grandson Simeon, get out of the car. It had been raining, and there was a giant puddle. How many guys? Still goes through your head. Now, further down the drive, there are two little kids, one little boy that's still got his tux on, who is sitting in the muddy water, splashing all over him and rolling in it. I mean, that's no frontal lobe. That's just, it hasn't even begun to produce yet. So I watched my, I watched my grandson get out, and I thought, this is going to be hilarious, because I know what's going through his head. He's 14, and he walked up to that, and he walked around it, Hallelujah. I thought he's growing up. Till I watched him go back. And he thought, it's over, and I think I can jump that. Boom, splash, and he didn't make it. We make decisions all along the way that sometimes as we're maturing and growing aren't as wise as maybe they could be otherwise. So why teach us to number our days that we can apply our hearts to wisdom? Rather than asking what is fun or asking what might be most beneficial in the moment, we're talking about Super Sunday Family Fun Days, we need to talk about applying our hearts to wisdom. Doing the things that make sense, doing the things that are right, doing the things that honor God, doing the things that build the kingdom of God, to apply our hearts to wisdom, things that endure and things that will matter. I'm at an age now where I've begun to read articles titled like this. How much money do you need to be able to retire? You know what I know? I don't have enough. Do you know what else I know? I'm going to have to work till noon on the day of my funeral. You know what else I know? It's too late to fix it. Wouldn't it be great if the passion you have in your 60s had been planted in you in your 20s? We would all be millionaires in our 60s. But who in their, who in their wildest imaginations, when they're 20, thinks about what life's going to be like in your 60s? You don't. In fact, I've apologized to my in-laws over and over again. Carol and I were married, and um, we'd been married, uh, uh, or, or we were to get, uh, dating, and I have to do the math here. But I remember when her parents turned 40. Her dad had to get glasses. I think your mom got glasses. And I said, this young 20-year-old, or whatever it was, punk, said to this 40-year-old, terrible to get old, isn't it? (laughs) How many of you would like to be young again, called 40? 
because you just don't see life that way. 40s in my rear view mirror. I'd go back to that in a minute. My point being, the idea of the psalmist was you are not going to live forever. Maybe 70 years, 80 if by reason of strength. Add that up. It's a vapor. It appears for a short time and withers away. Make decisions now with that in mind. You say, well, I'm, I, don't, I, don't, I have more time behind me than I have in front of me. What should I do with that? Well, how many of you remember Dear Abby? Anybody ever read Dear Abby? Anybody ever wish you were Dear Abby? Anybody that got called Dear Abby because you're giving out unsolicited advice all the time? I remember reading an article of a lady that wrote to Dear Abby and said, I'm 60 years old. I've never had a degree. I want to go back to school and get a bachelor's degree in a particular area. But she said, in four years, I'll be 64. Should I do it? And I loved the response. Abby responded back, okay, in four years, how old will you be if you don't get the degree? <laughs> Let's apply our hearts to wisdom. Let's think about where it will take us. Let's think about what the decisions are for the future. Teach us to number our days. The Bible says this in the rest of Psalm 90. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning. He's talking about the morning of your life with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. We are going to leave a legacy of some sort. Every one of us. Come on, how many are with me this morning? Every one of us will leave a legacy of some sort. You're deciding now what that will be. And if you don't like, if you don't like the legacy you would leave if you were to die today, get your calculator out, figure out how much time you might have left with the blessing of God, and what can you do with what's left to build a legacy that will be a blessing to generations that follow you. You can't change the years you've spent. You can change the years that are coming. Hello? Amen. Teach us. Get out your calculator. Teach us to number our days. Second, teach us to count the cost. The Bible says this in Luke chapter 14. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. It's really interesting when you read the Bible. 
it'll change your doctrine. It'll change what you believe. There is a dying form of Christianity that's being commented on by all of the trend followers today following the impact of COVID, and that's consumer Christianity. It's falling away. People who come to church or give their life to Jesus for what they'll get. They do it for the purpose of being blessed. What will God do for me and what will he give to me? And then they become discouraged because they don't see the kind of blessing they were anticipating for asking Jesus into their life. But when, when you read the scriptures, the scriptures begin to talk to you about counting the cost of being a disciple. Recognizing that it is free, but it will cost you everything. He paid the way, but after he paid the way, it ought to change you in such a way that you're making an investment. So he talks first about the builder. Now we're going we're gonna to do this together just for a little bit. The construction project started but not finished. That testifies to failure. He didn't have enough money. So he started building. He got the foundation laid, but was never, ever able to complete it. And so this partial edifice stands there, and everyone that goes by says, when will that be done? When will they finish it? It's not going to be finished. What a foolish decision that was to start to build without having counted the cost. I can tell you of churches in the U.S. and of some of God churches in Iowa that began to build but hadn't counted the cost. We had to close one just a few years ago and settle bonds that they had sold that they were never able to pay off. And the new building was never completed and they had to go back into the old building and the new building had, had um, plastic sheets and never was able, the roof began to leak. They could never get it done and it was stood as a mockery to the community when they looked at that, that they started to build and couldn't finish. What a silly, silly choice that would be. And I think he's saying to us that if you want to build something for the kingdom, if you want to grow your life, if you're going to build an edifice, count the cost. It's going to cost you something. People say they want to get somewhere. I'd like to be a leader. I'd like to be a teacher. I'd like to be a minister. There's a cost that goes with that. Have you counted the cost? Then he talks about the king heading into battle. He's outnumbered 10,000 to 20,000 doesn't think that he can win and so he sends out emissaries to try to negotiate a compromise so they're not decimated by that and he's saying and this is really a pointed comment to the church today particularly the Pentecostal church that if you're going to go into battle make sure you've counted the cost I listen to people talk about demons and the devil in such a flippant way that I know I've never really encountered spiritual warfare. Because the devil is a serious foe. Spiritual warfare is real. It's not something to be trivialized. I read a book about nail-biting demons. Nail-biting demons, no, there's stuff we can paint on your fingers to stop that. Hello? Come on. Demons in the car, demons in the door. Someone said, I think I have a demon stuck in my door. I said, I hope it stays there. Because if it ever gets out, it's going to find a person. Come on, are you with me right now? 
The idea being, if you're going to enter into spiritual warfare, do not challenge the devil or his territory unless you have on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, carrying the sword of the Spirit, having your loins girt about with truth, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, carrying the shield of faith. Make sure you've got your armor on, that you've been in training, that you're ready to go, so that when you go to do battle with the devil, you've counted the cost. And you're able to win that battle. Because we're warriors. But we're not warriors if we don't prep, if we don't prepare, if we don't ready our hearts. Spiritual warfare is real. Think of the consequences. If you've not prepared for battle, if you haven't counted the cost, you may as well compromise with the devil. Because he'll destroy you. Or you can count the cost. Hello? And then he says, in the same way. I <laughs> thought... In the same way, what? In the same way, build a house? In the same way, go to battle? What does he say? In the same way, if you don't give up all that you have, if you don't surrender all that you have, you cannot be my disciple. And I thought about, how is that in the same way? How is that in the same way? Because the others are counting the cost to see if you have enough. Yes. That's the point. Count the cost. You can build a house and hopefully it won't cost you everything you have. You can go to war and hopefully it won't cost you every soldier in your battalion. But here's what it's going to cost to be a child of God. It's going to cost everything. And if you hold anything back, oh, I know this flies in the face of conventional um, consumer Christianity. Tell us how we'd be blessed. Tell us why we'd come, all the good things we're going to get. Ha, 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 ha. No, it's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you everything. If you're, if you're not willing to give it all, you can't follow him. If you're holding anything back, how, is that, how does that even work? He is not your Lord if you haven't given him everything you have. What are you holding back that he can't have? You're not his disciple. I think we need to challenge ourselves with our spiritual calculator to add up. Have I counted the cost? This kingdom that we're involved in is a paradox of sorts. We add by subtracting. We multiply by dividing. We live by dying. We gain by losing. We move up by moving down. None of it makes sense. But you take out your spiritual calculator and add it up and it all makes sense. Because to be a disciple of Jesus means I'm going to give it all. You give up your rights to all that you have. Teach us to count the cost. I was driving uh, the other day, and I have one of those countdowns. How many miles till empty? How many of you have that'll do that for you? So I wanted to know if it was accurate. <laughs> I got down till seven miles till empty, and I lost my nerve. <laughs> I counted the cost, and it, listen, it wasn't worth running out of gas to measure its accuracy. Here's what I know. If you keep it on the top half, you never run out. 
and the cost is the same. If you fill it from zero to half, it's the same as if you fill it from half to full. How many know that? If you fill it from zero to full, it does cost more. I get that. But the, the idea being you have to count the cost. Are you willing to pay the price to not give up? Then related to that, God, teach us to number our days. Teach us, oh God, to count the cost. And then teach us, once we've counted the cost, to invest in the kingdom. Teach us to invest in the kingdom. But seek ye first. Come on. I said, but seek ye first. You can understand that, King James, can't you? Ye means you. <laughs> I'll translate. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. What shall we wear? What shall we eat? Where will we sleep? Will all be added to you. <clears throat> There's a lot of talk today as there should be in any sound financial planning concept that's not new, but it's return on investment. And all that really means is, if I give this much money, what will I get back from that? So if you invest $10,000 and you get 9000 back at the end of 10 years, that's a bad investment. That's called negative growth. At least that's what the government calls it. The rest of us would call it loss. But if you invest 10 and it's worth 20 at the end of 10 years, you got a great return on investment. But in the spiritual world, we need to measure that differently. What does a return on investment look like? One of the things that our culture is struggling with is private education, public education in higher education. The university system probably will stay there because of government subsidy money. But private education is struggling right now. Private colleges are struggling right now because the return on investment isn't there in many fields of study. If you go to a university and it costs you $100,000 to graduate with a degree that's only paying $20,000 a year, that's, you're not going to pay that back. It's a horrible return on investment. You have to measure that. You have to think about that. It's headed towards a crisis in higher academia. And how do we get through that? How do we change that? What happens with that? Don't be foolish with your resources financially. I read this week, I know there's a movie coming out, but this, this is amazing. I'm going to see how old some of you are. How many of you ever rented a video from Blockbuster Video? Look at this. Do you know at one time Blockbuster Video owned the video market? They were the place. They were at the top of their field. They were making money hand over fist. And there was a little company called Netflix that was struggling because at that time before streaming, Netflix would have you order a DVD or a video in the mail and you'd send it back and that market was struggling. And so Netflix approached Blockbuster and said, we will sell our company to you for $50 million. That was in 2000. <laughs> Blockbuster Video declined it as a joke. $50 million for a dying business? Why would we do that and laughed it off? Today, Netflix is worth not 50 million, but $231 billion. 
and there is one blockbuster video store left in Bend, Oregon. Someday Oregon will catch up. I get it. Wise financial investing has to look at gains and potential market increase. But for us, what do we look at for gain? We look at seeking first the kingdom of God. We put God's kingdom first. We invest in the building of his kingdom. That's why I thank you so much that during COVID, we thought, what are we going to do? We can't take an offering. We can't gather. What will the people of God do? And while our attendance has never gotten back to what it was before COVID, our giving has stayed consistent. What does that tell you? It tells you that, that there are those that whether they were here or not understood, this isn't about giving in the offering when I sit in the service and paying my part. It's about investing in the kingdom of God. And when you do that, God blesses people who give. Whether you do it in a traditional offering, drop it in a box, put it in the mail, do it online. God honors people who invest in his kingdom. Real believers understand that. There's a great fear in Christian circles that a day will come that the church of Jesus Christ in the United States will lose its tax-exempt status. We sold our political soul years ago when we accepted tax-exempt status and agreed to not make political, comment, political commentary on who to vote for. And I'm saying to you, before that, the pulpits determined who went into office. We bought that, and we gave up our right. And people said to me, well, what do you think will happen if we lose our nonprofit status in the United States? I said, we'll find out who the believers are. I don't know about you, but I don't give for a tax deduction. I give for a spiritual investment. I'm building in the kingdom. If the government wants to give me a tax deduction, fine, I'll take it. But give it or not give it. In fact, penalize me for it and I'll still give because I'm going to invest in the kingdom of God. It's part of who I am. It's part of what the word of God says. And God, teach us to invest in your kingdom above everything else. And seek his righteousness. What does that mean? It means that we're building a values-driven life, not a finance-driven life. We're building a values-driven life. Seek his kingdom. And all these other things will be added to you. So can I go to meddling? How many are okay if I meddle for a little bit? All I need is three. Were there two or three are, uh, uh, in agreement? I'm good. I'm good. The rest of you just plug your ears. I would challenge you, and I, and I don't remember, uh, Pastor Lucia might remember where exactly this is, but the testimony that Ryan Yates put about camp this week, I, I don't know if it was on his page or the IMN page. On the IMN page? And he told this story. He's gutsy. I've got new respect for our new DYD, District Youth Director. Tells a story about a young girl that just happened this past week, did not want to go to camp. I'm not going, I'm not going. Literally, they said, kicking and screaming, crying. I'm not going, you can't make me go, I'm not going. Well, mom, this is really a, a unique concept that, that really maybe we should consider as a paradigm. She had a, a mom who didn't want to be her friend 
wanted to be her parent. What a novel idea. Come on, girlfriend, let's go to the store. It's okay if you get along with your kids. You ought to love your kids and get along. But come on, adults. They don't need a peer. They need a parent. And mom said, you're going to camp. And with the kids screaming like that, that is the best option. I'm not listening to her for a week. You're going to camp. <laughs> this little girl went to camp. And during an altar call, she surrendered her life to Jesus. Was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Spoke in tongues. And her life is entirely changed. Why? Because there was someone in her life who said, I'm going to invest in the kingdom. And I'm going to take my child and invest my child in the kingdom. And see what God will do. And then the gutsy part is what Ryan says after that. This may, this may, oh, I don't want to make you mad. But your little Johnny's probably not going to be a quarterback, not going to be a, 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 a quarterback in the NFL and pay for your retirement. If you look at the percentages, of kids who play sports in elementary, that then play in high school, that then play in college, that then go into pro, you've got a better chance of being hit by lightning than that happening percentage-wise. It's, it's ridiculous. And he goes on, Ryan goes, I'm not saying this. I, I wouldn't have the courage to say this. <laughs> but he said, you spend all of your energy investing your child's lives into athletics and church doesn't matter and camp doesn't matter and youth group doesn't matter because they might have a chance to be somebody. Maybe it's time to reprioritize investing our kids in the kingdom. Just maybe that ought to matter again. That that becomes primary. That that becomes the focus. Because it's the kingdom of God that will matter. It's the kingdom of God that will matter. And then all of these other things will be given to you. Pastor Nathan, wherever you are, if you'd come. I've gone a little bit over time. We want to give you a little extra time for the family fun days. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Would you stand with me? If you invest in the kingdom, you will have no lack. <laughs> Is everybody listening to me right now? If you invest in the kingdom, you'll have no lack. And if you say, I've invested in the kingdom and I lack, no, you don't. You don't lack what you need. You're just lacking what you want. Because when you invest in the kingdom, you'll have what you need. God, teach us to number our days. God, teach us to count the cost. God, teach us to invest in the kingdom. Make sure our spiritual calculators are working accurately. So I'm not going to give an altar call per se this morning. 
I'm simply going to ask you to let the Spirit of God turn the floodlight onto your soul. Do you understand you're finite and using your days with wisdom? Do you understand there's a cost to Christianity? Are you willing to pay that price? And God's given you resources to invest in the kingdom. Is that at the top of your list? God, search our hearts while we worship you today. Your grace is enough, more than I need. At your word, I will believe. I wait for you, draw near again. Let your spirit make me new.
just for a minute. I want to encourage you to take advantage of what we're offering outside. There's a table for tickets. You'll get one ticket for an entree, one ticket for dessert. And uh, please just send one person from your group to the table to get the tickets. And that's provided free for you from Berean Church for Super Sunday Family Fun Days. So let's enjoy that. I know second service starts shortly, but it'll run a while after second service starts once you get out there. Um, also, uh, make sure you're, you're encouragement to the vendors. Amen. First, be nice to them and tell them we're glad they're here and that, that we appreciate them helping us. So let's uh, get your ticket and let's have some fun together. Also, thank you so much for your faithful financial support. I appreciate that so tremendously. Amen. God bless you. Let's enjoy Super Sunday Family Fun Day. <laughs> 